Welcome to the Radicards podcast on Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno. And today I have joining me Brian Hayes of Lingua Sports Cards. We're going to talk about three specific points and five minutes each. Let's just dive right into it here. First point, when the term one of one is watered is a watered down concept, right? So one of ones have been around for a while. We're in our 24th year of having one of ones in the market pack issue. They started in 97. They were like, you know, Flare Showcase had those. And then you know, 98 more companies, 99 more companies. Pretty soon now everybody's got one of ones. You got plates, you got variations, you got super fractors, you got paper red, bordered one of ones, you got all these different one of ones, you got gold vinyls, you got one of ones of inserts, you got super fractors of inserts. And then you've got sets that produce whole runs of one of ones, moments and milestones, the red bordered one of ones. Then you got like the printing plates of those. So and then you got people thinking like, oh, it's a serial number first, first out of the last. It must be the one of one or last out of the last one, one of one or, you know, jersey numbered one of one, right? eBay one of one. It's the only one in eBay. You know, if you look at the concept of numerator to the denominator, literally any serial number printed in the numerator position could be a one of one because it's the only card like it with that serial number on it. So really everything is a one of one with a serial number printed onto it, regardless of its, its, its total print run. So Brian, tell me about how your thoughts on this particular subject and sort of how you approach one of ones and, and what draws you to specific one of ones and just, just what's on your mind? Uh, sure. No problem, Patrick. Uh, once again, it's uh, it's great being here. Um, so I totally agree with you. I think one on one of ones are, they're totally oversaturated now. Um, for me, like the prototyp prototypical example is um, you know, there's some release and a card has a one of one of one, but then it's got like four printing plates, which might be four different colors. And then there might be like an autograph version, also a one of one. So all of a sudden you've really got like maybe six versions of the same card, but they're all listed as one of ones. Um, I don't like it. I think, uh, you know, back in the late nineties, when one of ones first came out, it was really new and exciting. And as so often is the case in sports cards collecting and in so many facets of life, um, you know, individuals have taken a great idea and just sort of ruined it by just uh, making it almost, uh, I don't want to say meaningless, but it's definitely watered down, as you were saying. There's just too many one-of-ones. Um, for me personally, how I handle this is um, I, I still like one-of-ones. Like, um, I go after them pretty aggressively if I see them. If they were made, like, before the year 2010, that's sort of a, a rough cutoff that I have where I still feel very excited when I when I see a one of one, especially um, like super fractors um, from the late 2000s, like the 2005 to 2010 range. I really love those, um, and I go after those like really aggressively. But after 2010, um, I really only have a couple of one of ones in my collection, and for me to go after those, it's really got to be like a Hall of Fame player, like a real a real stud who. I feel like um, the card is great, not because it's a one of one, but because it's a, it's a great player. Whereas I think before any sort of one of one uh, was an exciting, uh, you know, an exciting card, fun to look at, and uh, we just we just don't have that anymore. Yeah, I I I like one of ones. I love most of them. I, I there's some that I'm like, well, that's a little too gimmicky for me. I'm I'm not going to be into that. But if it's Frank Thomas, I get it for a good deal. I'll obviously be interested in it. Um, Love super fractors, love gold vinyls. Those are awesome cards. Um, but I can't get them all, and I wouldn't want to get them all. Yeah, I wouldn't typically chase. I mean, the plates have become like, you, you like do, do plates qualify as cards? Do they qualify as like 
part of the run. That's the like argument, right? You, you know, like they're they're metal. They're like for printing purposes. The plates are awesome. The last point I want to make is that one of ones and high end inserts were really only targeted to specific style players, like the Hall of Fame, like you know, senior veterans that are just on their path to the Hall of Fame. They're at the middle to end of their career, like new hopefuls that have promising outlooks and now it seems like everybody no matter if you touch you know big leaguers or not you're going to get a one of one and something so i just want to talk about that because i think it's important to discuss like does the does the one of one concept really have the same integrity no it doesn't it's not anymore but you can still enjoy the hobby and add really excellent one of ones in your collection so good stuff card peeling you know brian you and i both have cards in our collections that have the uh, the peel adhesive still uh, uh, adhered to the, the the surface of the front of the card. Uh, I, I keep them intact because I, I, as a purist, I like stuff straight from manufacturer to my collection. I want it as, as authentically manufacturing direct as possible. I don't like the peel things. I don't even like the mystery finest, the black covers. I don't even touch those. Those stay intact just because it's like, I feel like that stuff is endangered in a way because so many people have peeled them. You know, it's like vintage sealed boxes, sealed wax. It's hard to track down. And when you do, I just would keep it intact because it's so rare to find. I can find those singles. I don't, why, why bother opening a box when and you get all the stuff that's already been pulled and opened and, and it's available on the market, you know? And so what is, what are your thoughts on this? When you think about peeling cards, do you peel? Do you not peel? What's your, what are your, what, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, so I, I would say this is another topic where you and I, our preferences, they align pretty closely. Um, I like peeled cards um, if I know they came out of the pack that way. I do, however, I do have a couple of examples in my collection where a card was peeled and I still still obtain the card. And basically my rule of thumb is, is that if a card was peeled um, or it, it came out of the pack with, with the uh, the peel on and somebody peeled it. But if I can find that card in a PSA 10, then I will add it to my collection. I feel like, I feel like having a PSA 10 of that card sort of offsets the card losing the peel. Um, but as a general rule, uh, I go after the, the peeled versions of the card. If it's not PSA 10, I, I stay away. And um, my sense is that I would say most collectors feel the same way. I, I don't know what, what, what you think, but just from my interactions online, it seems like most uh, most collectors like to keep the, the peel on, although one one area where we are different is that the, the mystery finest re refractors, um, if I ever came into a situation where th there was a card that I liked, I would actually probably peel that card. I would want to actually see the surface. So um, maybe I'm not quite as strict as you. If it's a it's a, if it's a clear peel, like I can see the card underneath it, then I'm definitely going to keep it on. I like that. That's a good point to think about. I, I too possess many peeled cards in my collection, my Thomas collection, but I keep them because they're rare enough to find. Just finding them, finding examples of them is hard enough. So if I find an example and it happens to be peeled, I'll take it gladly. Mm -hmm. Will I keep an eye out for one that's unpeeled? Sure. But if if I can't find one that's unpeeled and I have to live with the one that's peeled, I'm perfectly happy with the one that's peeled and it's, it's in my collection. Uh, I, I just personally would not peel the cards myself. You know, typically the argument is they grade higher when peeled. I get that fine. They probably look better too. But I'm happy with a lower grade in an authentic presentation. That's just, but that's just me, like that having the 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 peel on the card with that like matte finish. It's you know not perfectly clear. Uh, I just I just I just feel more comfortable knowing it's been un, untouched. 
Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, just real quick here, yeah. I've, actually, I've actually tried just like find some peel uh, cards with peels of like some common players just to sort of practice peeling it off. Oh, yeah. um, these are these are cards from like the, the late 90s, and it was really difficult difficult for me to like sort of peel the, the card off without bending the card. Um, and so like even if I wanted to peel the card, I would be afraid of like damaging the, the card now because it's been so long. Uh, the peel has been been on so many of these so many of these cards for such a long time. Like if they just don't come off easy. Um, you know, I wasn't really collecting so much in the late 90s when I was you know taking a break from the hobby for a while. So when peeled cards first came into the hobby, I I, I never really was there collecting to see what it felt like to actually peel those cards when they were brand new. I've only sort of tried to do it when these cards are like 20 years old now, and so that's sort of been my experience. Well, everybody knows to peel the card, you need to take a flathead screwdriver and get it up underneath there and just jam it in and just start scraping the top of the <laughs> top of the card and really get in there. No, that's yeah. a joke, by the way. Don't ever do that. <laughs> All right, moving on to the last the last segment here. Content creation, proliferation, pros and cons. So over the last year and 24 months, 18 months, right in there, that block of time, a lot more people in the hobby, a lot more people in the hobby and a lot more of us producing content. So, which is a good thing and a bad thing. There are two sides to this, right? The, the, the pros, first, let's talk about the pros. More people dis, the dissecting content, there's more, more exposure to the hobby, to people who don't know enough about the hobby or a lot about the hobby. And so that draws new, new, new market, new uh, audience members, new participants into the hobby. Uh, the flip side of that is like, you know, there's more market activity on auctions, which means that it could drive prices up. So those of us who were used to getting this PSA 10 for 70 now have to pay 400 or something, right? Because there's more people. Um, so that's kind of a flip side. It's a normal flip side in economics. You have more hobby participants in a market. You're going to have, you know, more sales. So I get that. Also is that, uh, and Brian, you're going to talk about this, is that, you know, you have more things to discuss, which you have a wider market reach for different categories of the hobby um brian why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit more what's on your mind about this sure um yeah so uh, like you were saying like i've noticed as well that the number of content creators in in the hobby really pr proliferating and uh i really like that because what, what i find is that you know if you're creating content you're going to talk about what you like and so many people like different things and you you can find content now on new areas of the hobby and, and, and different sports that, that you never could even like three or four years ago. So you have certain people talking about, you know, like Formula One racing or wrestling cards or like even a lot of Olympic sports. Like I, I've seen, you know, the individuals talking about like these are Olympic cards from like the, the 1930s, like really old school stuff, like where I would have never seen anything like that or not too often, I should 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 say uh, prior to the last couple of years. And um, I think that's good. Like I know that I learn a lot from this, uh, all these new different kinds of content creators. And I, I really like that because I think um, it's a way to draw more individuals into the hobby. And if those individuals stay, um, you know, maybe eventually they will start to expand what they collect. And, you know, for so long, uh, the real bread and butter of the hobby has been the, uh, the four major uh, team sports in the United States, baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. And if you sort of have new collectors approaching from different sectors of sports and sports cards, maybe over time they will, uh, you know, stick and start collecting some of these more traditional um, sports. And I think that's just another way for the the hobby to grow. Thanks for tuning in to the Rad Cards podcast and radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno. And until next time, enjoy collecting. 
If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.